Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a therapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Dr. Mel Pohl is a family practitioner, and he's also the senior medical consultant of the pain recovery program at the Point Malibu Recovery Center. He is certified by the American Board of Addiction Medicine and is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Nevada School of Medicine. Mel is also the author of two books, A Day Without Pain, Revised Edition, Central Recovery Press 2011, and The Pain Antidote, Stop Suffering from Chronic Pain, Avoid Addiction to Painkillers, and Reclaim Your Life, DeCapo 2015. Dr. Paul also filmed a show for PBS on chronic pain, which aired around the country in 2016. And on a personal note, I just wanted to share how I met Mel. We were at the Evolution of Addiction Conference, I want to say 2011. I'm not sure the exact year, but I, I heard Mel speak and I thought, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And not only in terms of, of content, but just how he delivered the information was, was so palpable, how he knew everything that he was sharing, but also that, that he knew his audience. And that for those of us who didn't have a, a lot of background with understanding chronic pain and addiction, he made it easy to understand. And, and for that, I, I feel like he really laid the groundwork for my own understanding. So welcome all. It's so great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks. That's very kind words, and it's great to be here, Andrew. Yeah, and and I'm I'm especially excited about this particular podcast because we haven't talked about chronic pain here, and because it's so pervasive and it's something that is so misunderstood in a lot of ways, I, I think this is a great opportunity to have an honest conversation about how to look at this from a clinical viewpoint, but how to help. Our, our clients understand, our patients understand better how to approach this, whether it's in their own lives or the lives of loved ones. So the, the first question is, is a very important one. So what is the difference between acute pain and chronic pain? So a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the pain is a functional uh process. It's purposeful. Uh, we injure ourselves, we feel the pain signal, and we take action in response to that feeling so that we protect the injured tissue. So if I sprain my ankle, I don't walk on it. The pain signal, the purpose of that pain signal is to say something's wrong, pay attention to that area. There's inflammation around the injury and eventually if it's acute pain, the signal will end when the tissue heals and the tissue will heal because it's acute. Acute means it'll, it'll be time limited, uh, purposeful time limited. So and think about acute pain as the purpose 
uh, for pain that, that that God created. You know that the the nervous system created. It's a protective function in our nervous system. Chronic pain is an entirely different process. the The only thing, in fact, in common between acute pain and chronic pain is that word pain. If you if you look at the the etiology of chronic pain, rather than purposeful, it's it is not purposeful. So people who have headaches, you know, what's the purpose of a headache? We might, you know, get into the psychological purpose. If I have a headache, I can't work. So then I get to take time off. But that's a whole complex issue that, you know, we we could approach down the line. But really, it's not telling me something's wrong and I have to do something about it. It's telling me I don't feel well. And what happens? I get frustrated. I get angry. I get irritable. I get depressed. Uh, it's unending. There's no end in sight to, to the chronic pain condition. And even though there may be periods of remission and exacerbation, it's, it's a lifelong condition, uh, whether it's fibromyalgia or chronic disc disease or headaches, as I mentioned, or uh, complex regional pain syndrome. And the real key Andrew, that that differentiates acute pain from chronic pain is that it is not related to tissue damage. Uh, The mind says, oh, there must be some reason, there must be some cause in my body that is making this pain hurt, when in actual fact, it's the the brain itself that is misfiring. It's, it's, It's a miscommunication, it's misreading of the signals that come from the body and, and cause an interpretation that something is really out of whack and I have to do something about it when in fact, that's not the truth. So it, there's a, con, a chronic misunderstanding. And you know this is across the board, it's, it's clinicians, it's family members, it's physicians and it's patients. Um, so a, a different process, we, in the medical profession have done a disservice to patients in that we treat chronic pain like it's just more of the same. So it's an acute condition, tissue related, that just continues on in an unending basis. So what do we do for it? Well, we x-ray it and we inject it and we uh, eventually do the worst thing in the world, which is to operate on a say a spine that's got a little bit of a disc bulge, we attribute the pain to the disc bulge, we put titanium rods in the spine in a fusion procedure, and the chance of that really working is very, very slim. Uh, so. So in other words, and, and I would say that this happens with chronic pain and with addiction on a separate track, that a lot of clinicians, including doctors, of course, are not necessarily well-trained in these areas. And so they do the best they can, but there's oftentimes, like you said, there's, there's uh, different types of treatment or interventions that really aren't the best choice. And I'm wondering if you can maybe share a little bit more specifically about how the medical profession just doesn't always get it right. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, I, I, where do I start? I mean, I guess I, I would <laughs> yeah. begin with the, the basic premise that most physicians, most uh, clini- clinical practitioners mm-hmm. of the medical sciences are not well-trained in listening. 
So, you know, we go in with some sort of a predisposition belief that, you know, I got to find what's wrong with you. You know, when I went to medical school, I, I remember uh, it, it was like I had this, this thing in my pocket, like a weapon, you know, and it was actually a prescription pad. And I could whip it out and I could give you an antibiotic and I could give you decongestant and I could make a diagnosis and send it into the insurance company. You know, that really didn't have much to do with what you were mm -hmm. telling me when you mm -hmm. came to see me. Uh, and if I'm not really listening and attuned to what the patient is saying, uh, we really miss the boat. Um, mm -hmm. the, the other thing is that uh, when somebody comes in, it, it, tends to make us as clinicians, but certainly as physicians, very uncomfortable because we honestly don't know what to do. Uh, chronic pain is a, it's just, there's so much suffering associated with chronic pain and mm. we're just not equipped. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. Uh, and again, we do, we have several tools. We have uh, needles if we're anesthesiologists, pain doctors, we have uh, knives if we're surgeons mm. uh, and we have prescription pads for everybody else. And all too often, the easy, direct, uh, and popular thing to do is I give you a prescription. And mm -hmm. if what I give you doesn't work, when you come back, I give you something stronger. Uh, and that is the way we, that's the way we proceed. Wow. So I think what I'm hearing is that there's sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, a lack of humility when it comes to not knowing well, <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess you've nailed that one. You must be a therapist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it is. It's, and it's, you know, I don't ascribe motivation. I, I think really it comes mm -hmm. from a, 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 an insecurity or mm -hmm. an inability to really be helpful. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the medical model of sort of Western medicine, it's, make a diagnosis and do and give a prescription, you know, mm -hmm. and fix what's wrong. Well, mm -hmm. when we're really looking at chronic pain, we're looking at brain misinterpretation and there is no simple, easy answer to what to do about that. Sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's much more complicated. So in my inadequacy, uh, you know, I do the best I can with what mm -hmm. I've got. And it's usually it's a 10 or 15 minute appointment. Mm -hmm. This is an hour long conversation. Sure. So, you know, uh, and you know, some docs get it, they understand their limitations and some really just don't. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. So of course, as part of this conversation, the idea of considering opioids is mm -hmm. part of, of what goes on out there. How, how can you as a physician justify withholding op opioids from, from people who are suffering with chronic pain? Sure. So uh, opioids, of course, narcotics like hydrocodone or oxycodone or morphine or uh, methadone or uh, fentanyl. I mean, you know, there's, there's probably hundreds out there, but certainly uh, tens and twenties of these different prescriptions uh, are potent painkillers and they are appropriate Actually, the only time they're really appropriate is for acute pain mm -hmm. because the, the use is time limited. 
they are effective to diminish the pain signal. And the CDC put out guidelines in 2016, and they've been pretty well challenged, and they're battering them around right now. But the, one of the fundamentals was, if you're treating acute pain, do it for a really short time, three, three to seven days worth of, of a prescription. Don't mm-hmm. give a month's supply uh, mm-hmm. of anything. So what about the person with chronic pain? Well, mm-hmm. when we set, up, set the stage, that person's going to have a lifetime of this condition. Mm-hmm. So do we want to commit that person to take a lifetime of opioids? Uh, what happens over the course of time long-term with opioids is several things. One is tolerance develops. So that means they don't work as well. So the next step is to increase the dose because the body accommodates to the opioid presence Tolerance means you got to have a higher dose to get an effect. And then, of course, physical dependence uh, occurs. So that means I can't live without them. So now my body has become so used to this drug that I'm normal with it. I'm abnormal without it. And then this, you know, if we tried, if we're going to use opioids for chronic pain, it ought to be, let's do it for a month, see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And chances are by the first or second week, the, the, the benefit is, is achieved, limited, and then it starts to diminish. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's, so there's a choice point there. What do I do? Do I increase the dose, which is what typically I'll do? Or do I say, you know what? The trial, it's, it's not like you're taking one, one every two or three or four days. You're taking three a day, and now you're telling me they don't work. So we could go to four a day or double the dose, or we could say this is not a good this is not a good trial with this. Mm-hmm. And, and we should exit before we get down the road with you on high doses of opioids and less and less efficacy for your pain. The, 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 the last thing to say is that opioids are actually what we, what we call pro-inflammatory. So we've learned over the course of time that opioids cause more pain in the long run. They inflame certain areas of the brain. They cause certain support cells to become activated. They cause the secretion of inflammatory chemicals. And the net effect is Mm -hmm. that the person has more pain on the opioid than off. I have a patient in treatment right now, and she was on a thousand milligrams of morphine equivalent a day. That's 60 milligrams of methadone. 75 micrograms of fentanyl every three days in a patch form and 150 milligrams of oxycodone a day. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a ton. I mean, I've been doing this for 40 years and that's really a high dose. Mm-hmm. She came off her opioids mm-hmm. and her, her pain is, and she had very severe back pain for six years off the opioids. She, she's not in, in pain. Wow. She has no pain. So how can we explain that? Well, the, 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 you know, the, inadvertently, you know, she and her physician got caught in this conundrum of higher dose, higher dose, Mm -hmm. higher dose, higher Mm -hmm. dose. And, you know, we misunderstood the signal of no, really, the chronic pain was related to a whole lot of other issues that were not properly treated with opioids. Mm. You know, the statement that you made about opioids being pro-inflammatory and how counterproductive they truly are is astounding because I, I I didn't know that. And I imagine mm. that most people, most clinicians don't realize that. But yeah. it but it but it's so important to to understand and, and I'm glad we're shifting into some more optimistic um questions uh to to focus on because 
what you bring to the table is is truly something refreshing and um and an alternative that mm -hmm. that i don't i don't know maybe you can speak to this now or at another point but i'm not sure why it's it's not more widely understood uh I, you know it's a very it's a very astute question um i think it it really uh underscores some of the things we've already talked about, which is that the system is built for disease and pathology and you know, prescription, prescriptive measures. Uh, so successful treatment of a patient is writing the mm -hmm. prescription and getting him or her out of your office in mm -hmm. 10 minutes so you can see the next patient. Um, it's not really making the connection that you and I know is most important in mm -hmm. really touching people and, and communicating with people and mm. it turns out diminishing suffering from chronic pain so um you know it it, it needs a system overall and sure. i don't know if we're in store for that i mean the other thing is that people doctors are incentivized for doing things that cost money that make them money you know not mm -hmm. to say they're doing it to get mm -hmm. rich but you know it's a it's a subtle uh but pretty dysfunctional system uh yeah. and you know, there's talk of shifting that, you know, mm -hmm. Medicare shifted their perspective to let's look at outcome measures, how, you know, we assess patients by what their pain score is. Their pain score is high, we up the dose of medication. We ought to be assessing them not on what's the matter, but what matters to you. How's your life? Mm -hmm. You know, where do you go? Do you have joy in your life? Are you having mm -hmm. fun? Are you able to hang out with your grandkids. No, I'm in bed all day. The only thing that gives me respite is medication for an hour or two. That's a terrible way to live. Yeah. Uh, I could talk all day about what we're, we're hitting on now, yeah. but I, I really want to hear about um, what, what works. So, so tell us more about what, what are the effective measures to treat yeah. chronic pain? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> not a youngster. I've been in the field for over 40 years. I thought I'd be winding down and I got to, to this job offer at the Point Malibu uh, Recovery Center. And as you know, Malibu is, uh, it's just a lovely place to go and hang out. Uh, <laughs> so we, we have this really uh, excellent team-based uh, approach to chronic pain. We call it pain recovery as opposed to pain management. Um, and it's really about how do you find the quality in your life and mm -hmm. the, the relief from the suffering? And it's really based on some of the premises that we've already touched on. The first is to acknowledge that the pain is real and really pay very exquisitely close attention to the story that the patient has to tell. Mm -hmm. And then to really begin to look at what the story is based on. And more often than not, the, the story of chronic pain is based in fear. Uh, fear that it's going to get worse, fear that I'm going to become disabled, fear that if I move, it will hurt. So I don't move, you know, it's called fear avoidance or kinesiophobia, you know, phobia of, of movement. Mm. And before you know it, the fear is driving the pain. So mm -hmm. instead of the pain causing the fear, the fear causes the pain. And, you know, what's associated with fear is anxiety and, and, uh, and the activation of the nervous system. So the, the core elements of our pain recovery program are to help the patient see the truth, 
which is the tissue is not the issue. The issue is your brain. Mm -hmm. And then to teach them, you know, in the time that we have with them, measures to turn down the volume inside the, the middle part of the brain, which of course is where the drugs work. So, you know, the drugs temporarily turn it down, but in, in the long run, it ratchet it up. But the, the problem is that this middle part of the brain where emotions are lodged and where pain exists, the volume's turned up inside that part of the brain. So measures that work to turn down the volume are really the essence of, of pain recovery. And, uh, you know, we use breathing techniques and we use mindfulness practice and we use uh, polyvagal theory to help people uh, co-regulate, you know, by being around other people and diffuse some of the seriousness of their own condition. Uh, we use a, 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 a process called pain reprocessing therapy, which is this really uh, cool science that's been developed by Alan Gordon at USC, uh, he's uh, in the pain, uh, I, forget what it's, I, I think it's pain reprocessing therapy. But anyway, they, they wrote an article uh, in the journal, the American Medical Association. So this is a controlled study of their method. And the method is essentially, I mean, it's, it's a, a pretty complex process, but it's really all helping the brain correct the misinterpretation. In, in many different ways, so that the focus is really on my beliefs and my fears and not on my body, and really re reappraising and helping people somatically experience the fact that I'm perfectly safe. You know, I personally have chronic back pain, but I can sit here and talk for hours, and I can go for a walk with my dog, and I can go to the gym, and I can lift weights, and I can hike. And I could even stand on my head, but it makes me dizzy. So I don't do that. <laughs> uh, That's where you draw the line. Yes, but it's not a, it's, it's a, it's not a functional, uh, meaningful pain. It's mm -hmm. just, it's my brain's interpretation that I, I saw my MRI. I have a bulging disc. Mm -hmm. I can feel where the bulging disc is. Well, that's, that's not the case because there are the same bulging discs exists when I'm lifting weights and I don't feel the pain. The same bulging disc exists when I'm at a at a concert and I don't feel the pain. Mm -hmm. The same bulging disc exists when I'm walking in the flower fields and I don't have the pain. So how can I explain that the physiology of my body is causing the pain? I can't. And as you begin to unravel that, and there's a lot of skill involved, as you can imagine, in this clinical technique. But as you begin to unravel that, and the, the study that I briefly mentioned is that over the course of two weeks, I'm sorry, six weeks, people came to the study with a, an average of 11 years of back pain. So these were chronic pain sufferers. It was done in Boulder, Colorado, and they divided the groups into pain reprocessing therapy, uh, control group, and what they call treatment as usual, which was some physical therapy and some cognitive behavioral therapy. With pain reprocessing therapy, pain scores dropped from like an average of 3.8 out of five to less than one hmm. uh, in six weeks. And those benefits were sustained over the course of a year. And furthermore, they did functional MRI scans of the brain so they could actually see the brain before this treatment and after the treatment. And the brain changed. The areas of the brain where pain is interpreted diminished uh, hmm. in their signal on the functional MRI. So you know, it, it proved that we can actually treat chronic pain with psycho 
behavioral measures uh, very effectively. And they're, they're disseminating this message, uh, you know, is it gonna change the way the mainstream believes? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't have great optimism about that. Mm -hmm. But, but there are some really wonderful tools to deal with the, the nervous system issues. Sure. And, and even if it helps one person at a time, I, I, I think what you're saying over and over today is that as much as we know, we, we, we're learning all the time. And, and that's really cutting edge kind of approaches that you're describing. And hopefully down the road, we'll be having different conversations that today what's cutting edge won't be so cutting edge at some point yeah, yeah I, I i totally agree and and again the the biggest cutting edge is don't look for uh, a tissue solution to the problem look for a brain solution and you know talk to your patients you know for for listeners uh if you have chronic pain or if you're working with a chronic pain patient uh, you know, pay close attention to the story and then begin the process of mm -hmm. walking people away from the certainty that, you know, the, the, the uh, people uh, will identify a, a precursor to their pain that really has nothing to do with their pain. So I, I was in a car accident three days later, my neck started to hurt. Well, mm -hmm. There's no logic to that, mm. you know, that's what a whiplash injury ends up looking like in Lithuania. Mm. They don't, they don't have the term whiplash in their vocabulary and they have no zero cases of whiplash. <laughs> so, you know, it's the expectation right. causes the, the, right. the outcome, you know, right. we have powerful minds. Right. And just for perspective, I want to add that when I was in grad school, we didn't talk about the brain or the nervous system. And here we are in 2022, and, and we know that it has to be the focal point of, of healing. Yeah. And so everything you're saying is just very significant in, in profound ways. Yeah. Yeah. Pain neuroscience has come leaps and bounds. I mean, uh, you know, I, I have a, a network of colleagues who are doing this work and talking about this work and creating miracles, you know, among patients where people who've suffered for years uh, are out of pain and, and living their life. Well, I've seen it over and over and over again. So it can be done and it, it takes work. It takes energy expenditure, uh, but it, it's pretty remarkable. And yeah, it's all based in the brain. So how would you say pain or, or chronic pain is, is similar to chemical and process addictions? Well, there's an interesting study. The, uh, uh, is done on a functional MRI at uh, Northwestern University. The principal investigator is a guy named Ebkarian. He's very colorful. Uh, I think he's Romanian, Vanya Ebkarian. And essentially what he did was he did functional MRI scans of people with acute pain. So back pain less than six weeks. And then he did functional MRI scans of people with chronic pain more than six months. The functional MRI scans of the acute pain showed a particular part of the brain, the thalamus lit up. And the thalamus is kind of the basic relay station of the pain signal that functions in the acute pain signal. With chronic pain, it was they described it as a different signature. And it was areas of the brain, particularly, and I'll say big words, and hopefully some people recognize them, but the nucleus accumbens and ventral tegmental area. And these are two areas where 
reward is exhibited and drive uh, are established. And guess what works in those areas? Substances and, and process. You know, that's what dopamine is doing its deal. Mm-hmm. So chronic pain looks a lot like addiction. And if you look at the behavioral phenomena in uh, in chronic pain, what we see is we see people who are they're almost addicted to the preoccupation with the pain. So they're mm. they're driven to to you know pain becomes the identity, just like the substance or the behavior becomes the focus of of a person's uh, activities, even though it's not serving their ultimate well-being. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's the almost compulsive drive to do something about the pain. You know, I mean, a lot of patients that I see have been to doctor after doctor, after doctor, clinic after clinic. So it's not uncommon to see people feel relatively hopeless that this time it's going to be different. And this time it's really going to work. Um, so I, there is a biochemical similarity and a behavioral similarity between chronic pain and, and addiction. Mm-hmm. So just to illustrate, let's say someone does go from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they're getting lots of different prescriptions and, and, and have that, that desperation in, in, in their seeking. How would you distinguish that person from someone who falls more cleanly into uh, an, an addiction kind of um, category or addiction kind of cycle um or are they overlapping well i I, that was what i was going to say they are overlapping what's interesting if we look at chemical use um people who use opioids who have prescriptions for opioids and take them as prescribed often end up in my clinic and the reason is that the reward center and the relief center are sort of inextricably linked so I take my meds because I'm in pain. I want to be out of pain. Well, most of my alcoholics drink to get away from the horrible consequences of their drinking. So the pathological pursuit of relief, which is what people with chronic pain end up doing with Mm -hmm. their medications, is still addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, it meets the criteria from the DSM. If we sit back and look at behaviors, or if we put that person into an addiction group or into a 12-step program without you know, some, some understanding, it's a mismatch mm-hmm. and they will not feel comfortable there. And that, that's often the case. On the other hand, with proper psychoeducation and support, those people can find a home sometimes in the 12 step programs or in a, a support group for people who have substance use issues. Um, so, you know, f- subtle differences in, in that case. Right. So, so in other words, it's really a matter of, uh, understanding the person and their complexities. It's not a one size fits all. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, the, the, the model is one that has some commonalities to it, but the, the individual nature of, because, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't even touched on the fact that people come with a story. Well, the story starts in childhood. So most of the people, 80 to 90% of the patients that I treat with chronic pain have serious trauma histories mm-hmm. and the, you know, it can be sexual, emotional, physical trauma, or it can be medical trauma. These are people that have been really traumatized by our system. You know, they go to the surgeon, the surgeon operates, they come back to the surgeon with the same or worse symptoms. And the surgeon says, I don't know what to tell you. 
I did my job. It must be in your head. Mm. Must not be real. Mm. You know, well, the cost of that disbelief is just astronomical. Sure. So before we wind down, I'm wondering if you were to share one or two takeaways that you would like our listeners to mm. really hone in on, what, what would they be? Um, the first one would be to get curious about uh, the, the process of chronic pain. You know, just some of the things that we've touched on today, you know, without dismissing them out of hand. No, he's crazy. I got a bad, I got this disease. You know, I have degenerative disc disease. Uh, be curious about what story you've developed in your mind or your, your client or your patient has developed in, in his or her mind that drives the experience of pain. And then be, become curious. The next would be to notice what comes up around that. And, and the things that are going to come up are fear and anxiety and uh, uh, worry, you know, that it's going to get worse. And then begin the process of uh, taking that apart. Now, all of those steps are pretty complicated. But so that's why I say to start, just be curious. Uh, about this. There's a couple of resources to look at. I mean, you mentioned my book, of course. Uh, the book that Alan Gordon wrote is called The Way Out. Uh, and it describes in detail the study that I described and the pain reprocessing therapy treatment program that he has. The, that's The Way Out. And then there are two apps that I'd refer people to. One is Menda, M-E-N-D-A. That's the one that we use at the point uh, with our patients and curable is the one that Alan Gordon actually set up and there, you know, you can get access to them for free. And then of course there's a charge if you want to do something there. But if you have somebody in your life who has chronic pain, that's a great starting point because they mm. explain all this in a lot of detail and then move people towards solutions. Sounds like really, really helpful resources, which of course we, we can't get enough of, especially with something of this nature. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanna thank you so much for, for being here today. It's, it's always a pleasure speaking with you and, and yeah. thank you so much for sharing the time. Great, it went fast, it was great. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. All right, take good care. You too, see you. Thank you, bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. It was so terrific sharing the time with my colleague and friend, Dr. Mel Pohl, and discussing this really vital topic. If you're so inclined, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us the next time, and don't forget to stay connected.